Welcome back to Bible Answers with Philippians 1-9 Ministries. You're listening to Patrick O'Brien. Today we want to talk about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, or the unpardonable sin. You know, there have been many sincere Christians who Satan and his demons have tormented spiritually and emotionally into thinking that they have committed an unpardonable sin during maybe some moment of weakness or perhaps some confusion during trials. Maybe they said something concerning the Holy Spirit that they wish they had not, and now they're living in condemnation and perhaps even under continual demonic oppression, not possession, but oppression. This is a horrible thing. And that's not what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's something very different. But one of the most common questions I get asked by other people are, what can I do? I believe I've committed the unpardonable sin or that I have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. We have to understand this unpardonable sin in context of Scripture. So let's go ahead and look at this closely. The unpardonable sin was done in a cognizant way with calculation, knowing that Jesus was from God and even possibly the Messiah, We'll see from here in Matthew 12. Now, after knowing all this, they deliberately attributed Jesus' power to Satan. What the Holy Spirit was doing through Jesus, they, the Pharisees, the religious establishment, were attributing to it or attributing it to the work of Satan. It was done in order to mislead others from the way of truth and salvation. Matthew 12 is going to be this key chapter that we see this happening. The religious establishment was up against their own Messiah, and they were wanting to keep power for their own self-interests. We see this all through the Gospels and even through the book of Acts. Now, we have many people in the hyper-charismatic churches or the Word of Faith churches or the New Apostolic Reformation which the acronym NAR is used for, and various other false movements that like to misuse this and in a way to imit- intimidate a believer from testing the spirits as we are commanded to do in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. In effect, they are saying, if you, the believer, the discerning believer, test this, whatever they're doing, and you're wrong, then you're guilty of a sin that guarantees your condemnation to hell, which is utter nonsense and honestly spiritual bullying. But that's what they do. That's what these false movements, these false churches do, is they try to intimidate, especially young and new believers, from testing or examining all things. Because they say, if you're wrong just because you tested it, and then you'll blaspheme the Holy Spirit and go to hell. That's error, folks. And that is also a lie from Satan. He wants you to believe that you should not test anything by God's word. Because he knows when you use God's word, the light and the truth, to test lies and darkness, that you'll be able to see clearly. And so that's what we want to do here today, is we want to look at this specific unpardonable sin or blaspheming of the Holy Spirit in light of Scripture. So let's look at Matthew's account of this. We see it say, 
that, quote, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man who was unable to speak talked and could see. And all the crowds were amazed and were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees, the religious establishment, heard this, they said, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he has become divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if by Beelzebub I cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out the demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless the first ties up the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? And let's continue. The one who is not with me is against me. And the one who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now you can follow along again with that from Matthew 12, verses 22 through 32. But we're seeing that in Matthew 12, verses 22 through 29, Jesus is is brought a person who has a demon and who has been made a person that, that they're dumb and deaf. So when the demon is cast out, the people wonder if Jesus could be the son of David. This would mean he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ in Greek. It's the title for the Messiah. For there were certain miracles only that the Messiah would be able to do, setting him apart from the prophets. Now the Pharisees in Matthew 12, 24, tell the people that Jesus is casting out demons by the prince of demons, or Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies, claiming that the spirit that is working through him, Jesus, is not the Holy Spirit, but a demonic spirit. In verse 29, Jesus states that this cannot be true because Satan would be divided and his kingdom would fall. Furthermore, no one is able to bind Satan and spoil his belongings unless he is stronger and not subservient. Now, Jesus specifically states he is driving the demons out with the Spirit of God. Jesus is much stronger, infinitely stronger than Satan. He created Satan. Satan's a created angel. Jesus created the devil. But I digress. The purpose of the Messiah's miracles that we're seeing in Matthew 12 was to authenticate who he was. In Judaism, there were three main messianic miracles that the rabbis understood would take place and when, when the Messiah would come. And these would help the people recognize him. For context to that, I encourage you to look up Deuteronomy 18 verse 15, Isaiah 35 verses 3 through 6, and even Isaiah 43 verses 7 through 9. But we know that he would heal someone born blind from birth. He would heal a Jew who had leprosy. From the time of Moses' law being completed, no Jew was ever healed of leprosy. 
So this would be a miracle, a messianic miracle. And then we, we see that he would heal or cast out a dumb demon. This is important because the Pharisees recognize that this is a messianic miracle and ask if this can be the son of David. At, at the time, there were exorcisms performed within Judaism. For this is to be accomplished, the exorcist needs to actually communicate with the demon and ask questions. That's, that's how they would do it. They have to talk to the demon in Judaism. However, in this case, such as, as where someone was affected by the demon to become dumb, the exorcism in Judaism could not take place because there could be no communication made. They couldn't speak to him. So according to Judaism, only the Messiah could cast out a demon like this because it would be supernatural. Now, they were under the impression one had to know the name of the demon to cast it out. Remember when Jesus asked the demon-possessed man his name in Mark 5, verse 9? So that's what we're seeing here. Now, I, along with many others, believe that this unpardonable sin was unique to the generation Jesus spoke to and only possible on that side of Pentecost. But let me explain from Scripture. This unpardonable sin was a national sin, a collective sin committed by Israel in rejecting Jesus as the promised Messiah while he was physically present among them in the flesh. Let me say that again. The unpardonable sin is a national sin, a collective sin committed by Israel in rejecting Jesus, Yeshua, as the promised Messiah, as the Hamashiach, while he was physically present among them in the flesh. It was done by their seeing and rejecting his miracles, being from God, blaming it on a demonic spirit. It was the Pharisees that led the people to attribute those miracles that Jesus performed, not to the Holy Spirit but to an unclean spirit. This event is unique to the generation of Jesus' day on that side of Pentecost, where he was physically present. They watched him do the miracles, and they attributed them to being demon-possessed. Blasphemy of the Spirit has nothing to do with being saved and losing your salvation. Those who blasphemed here were unbelievers, not believers. Did you get that? Those here in context who blasphemed were unbelievers, not believers. Again, keep in mind that this is not an individual sin, but a national sin by a nation. This did not mean that no individual could be saved because many were saved who previously spoke this. Even the Apostle Paul, formerly Saul, a Pharisee, killed Christians and very well could have been on this decision of rejecting the Messiah. As a nation, their judgment was imminent, which took place approximately 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. As individuals, he gave them a way out. The Jews of Jesus' day expected the Messiah to come and establish God's kingdom and to reign as king when he came. They were expecting the Messiah, son of David, and not the Messiah, son of Joseph. This has to do with one Messiah, two comings, coming as a servant and then coming as a conquering king. His first coming, he would come as a suffering servant in the character of Joseph. They didn't know that before the conquering king Messiah, there would be the suffering servant Messiah, the, the coming, the nature that Christ would come in to die on the cross. They didn't understand it 
was one Messiah, two comings. Now, the Pharisees, although seeing great works being done by Jesus, a lot of them were yet unbelieving and refused to receive Jesus as their Savior. You can look at John chapter 5, verses 39 through 42 to grow more in understanding that. They wanted to see more acts of miracles. That was not the only thing that was hindering them, but it was also the fact that Jesus was infringing on their authority as law-keeping leaders who knew and spoke from the Word of God with authority. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus rebukes them, the Pharisees, for following and incorporating doctrines of men and then and, and useless traditions that make void God's law. So that's why in verse 39 he says, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign. Jesus says that only one sign would be given, and that would be the prophet Jonah, his death and resurrection. The unpardonable sin was committed by the Jews of Jesus' day, and it would be that generation that would have to answer for the rejection of Jesus Christ as their promised Messiah. Many of the Pharisees were saved afterwards, proving it was not an individual sin, but a collective national one. The scripture says they will not be forgiven in the present age or later on. It doesn't mean people will commit this sin in the age to come. Because one of the requirements is that Jesus had to be physically present in front of them, and this was why the term Son of Man, is used. Let's look at all this in context a little bit more closely. It is very important to understand the unpardonable sin in its exact context, because this is the only context in which the sin is found. The context suggests that the unpardonable sin was a national rejection of the Messiahship of Jesus on the grounds of this demonic possession while Jesus was physically present on earth. The Bible makes it very clear The individual who will come to God through the blood of Christ will be forgiven regardless of what sin he has committed. Jesus did not die on the cross for only certain kinds of sin. He died for every type of sin and rendered all sin forgivable to the individual who will come to God through his blood. The term whosoever in Matthew 12, 32 can have either an individual or corporate meaning depending on the context. In this context, it is defined by the term this generation in Matthew 12, verses 41-42. This shows that the individual can be forgiven, but the nation, it, would now be unpardonable. The work of the Holy Spirit was the final testimony of the Messiahship of Jesus. It was possible to reject Jesus' messianic claims and still be convinced by the work of the Holy Spirit. However, to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit also meant rejecting the person of the Messiah who had been authenticated by the signs of the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's look at this. The sin, then, was willful rejection of the person of the Messiah who had been authenticated by the signs of the Holy Spirit. To ascribe those signs to Satan was to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which in turn led to the rejection of Jesus, the Messiah. The point is that Jesus needed to to be present, to perform these miracles, these signs, which is why the sin was limited to that generation and therefore cannot be committed today. Also, Jesus was never physically and visibly present with any other nation, offering himself as that nation's 
Messiah, Israel. This was a unique relationship with Israel, the only covenant nation. Now, this is actually the third time a specific generation had reached a point like this. The first was when Israel committed the sin in Kadesh Barnea. And I encourage you to read that from Numbers 13 through 14, where God decreed a judgment of 40 years of wandering and death in the wilderness outside of Israel. There was no going back. The second was in the days of Manasseh, one of the cruelest kings in Jerusalem. He turned Solomon's temple into a major center of idolatry. You can check that out in 2 Kings chapter 21, 2 Chronicles chapter 33. God therefore decreed a judgment. However, Manasseh did repent at the end of his life in 2 Chronicles 33. And as an individual, he was saved. God did promise that he would not bring calamity during Josiah's day, the king after Manasseh. But the judgment was still inevitable. 2 Chronicles 34. Verses 23 to 28. Now, the, the unpardonable sin was strictly sin from unbelievers opposing Jesus' ministry. No one who believes in Jesus Christ and his purposes of coming to the earth to forgive sins can ever commit the sin. So, if you're a believer and wondering if you have committed this type of sin today, rest assured you have not. No matter what position you take on the view of the unpardonable sin, we know for certain it is done in a cognizant way, with calculation, and not some spontaneous accident. We also know that Jesus died for all sins, and if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If any man repents of any sin, emphasis on any, he can be saved. There is no exceptional exception clause in Scripture. To deny that the blood of Christ atones for all sin is error. John said, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1.7 All sin means all sin. There are other verses that support this claim that all sin is forgivable to the individual who repents and turns to Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You can check out Ephesians 1.7, Romans 5.9, which says, Much more than, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now this is just a brief summary, and much more can be brought out on this text. But no matter again what position you take on the view of the unpardonable sin, the unpardonable sin is cognizant, it's calculative, and it's meant to lead people away from Jesus as the Messiah. At the very, very basic The unpardonable sin is unbelief in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. You cannot believe and be saved if you are staying in a state of unbelief. And therefore, you cannot be forgiven and born again if you're staying in unbelief. Again, the Bible makes it very clear. The individual 
who will come to God through the blood of Christ will be forgiven regardless of what sin he has committed. Jesus did not die on the cross for only certain kinds of sins. If you are feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit for something, and you have this, I need to confess it, I want to get right with God. Well, that proves right there that you haven't committed an unpardonable sin. Because you can have access to God by being repentive, by confessing your sin, and being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And all means all, brothers and sisters. So I hope that that encourages you to be confident that you are not blaspheming the Holy Spirit or committing some unpardonable sin when you are examining the scriptures like the Bereans did when Paul taught. When you are testing the spirits, when you are appraising and testing all things, when you are examining all things, you are not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You are obeying, you are obeying a biblical command given to us to test everything, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You are not going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit or commit some unpardonable sin if you are seeking truth and following Christ. As I've said, Matthew 12, the context of this sin, where the only place this sin exists, is in context a national sin during a time where the Messiah came to his people and they should have accepted him and they didn't. Now, I encourage you, there was a lot said, and it was very quick that we went through this. So go back through, listen to it again, read Matthew 12 in context, and come to your own conclusion. And I pray that if you have been tormented by those who are spiritual abusers behind pulpits or in false churches and false movements, and if you have been tormented spiritually and emotionally by this, to rest in Christ, rest assured that you are not committing a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ and you confess your sins and that if you walk in the light as he is himself in the light, because then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not all sin except blank. All sin. All right, brothers and sisters, that's all I have to say here today on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you, to study the scriptures, to show yourself approved unto God, and to continue to put on the full armor of God from Ephesians 6 and press on in Jesus.